The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay. So, quick question, all right? Did you hear the, the reading before the gospel about the flames that were on above everybody's head, and then we just heard 
all of the, the gospel read in all these different languages? Does anybody have a guess why that is? Because there's many churches around the world, exactly, but really, yes, sir. There are thousands of churches, and the lesson that we can take away from that, even though it goes beyond just churches, is that just like this flame and that flame on every one of your heads, on, every, on the head of everyone in this room and all around the world, the Holy Spirit is burning deep, deep inside of you. Not fast, it's a slow, long burn that lasts for all time. It takes more than 24 hours, buddy. But on that note, I'm going to ask you to go with Miss Debbie and reflect on that a little bit more. Hold on a minute. Hold on, Hold a, minute. on a minute. Hold on, y'all. Do you know why a bishop wears this hat? Bishop's on the move. <laughs> Do you know why a bishop wears this hat? What does it look like? What's it supposed to look like? No, no. Yes, ma'am. A fire, a flame. That's exactly right. And that's why the bishops wear these. Isn't that kind of fun? Does Father Christopher wear it? No. Does Father Michael wear it? No. Does, Fa does uh, Mother Karen wear it? Does Father Bill wear it? No. But Bishop Bruce wears it. Want to see? Zippy do. What do you think? <laughs> And you get so that this represents the flame of Pentecost that, and represents our being descended from the apostles where the flame initially fell on Pentecost Day. That's why we wear this funny hat. Can I tell you that? Now you can go off, okay? <laughs> Thank you. En el nombre de Dios, Shang Di, Shang Fu, Shang Tzu, Amen. Please be seated. I bring you greetings from Bishop Taylor, Canon McCarthy, and the entire diocesan staff. We're here to help you in any way we can. And I'm particularly grateful to be with you all on this Pentecost Sunday morning. So happy birthday, church. And yeah, happy birthday, church. You know, I have preached on the Feast of the Ascension, which we celebrated last week, and on today, the Feast of the Pentecost, many times in my life as a, as a clergy person, probably not as many times as Father Michael, but I'm getting up there. But its meaning uh, was literally hit me right between the eyes just a few weeks ago as I was visiting various churches in the province of the Philippines. So I want to give you a little bit of background on the Philippines especially the mountain province in the Philippines where I spent the most of my, the majority of my time. 
So life in the mountains of the Philippines, in the mountain province, is not easy. It has historically not been easy to get to. It involved long Jeep rides on less than ideal roads up treacherous mountain passes, and I can tell you because I just did it. The people who live there are almost entirely members of indigenous tribes, so they've experienced prejudice and all that entails from the powers that be in Southern Manila. The Roman Catholic Church wasn't interested in going up into the mountain province, so when this, our Episcopal Church, sent missionaries into the Philippines, they quickly realized that the area where Christianity had yet to be introduced was this same mountain province. With the blessing of the government, which at that time was the United States government, and the Roman Catholic Church, the missionary bishop Charles Brent went up into the mountains of the Philippines in 1901. And so this area was occupied by uh, a, a series of tribes called Igorots, some tribes of which, believe it or not, were headhunters. It's true. And by the way, the Episcopal missionaries taught the Igorots other ball games in order to move them off the game of headhunting. <laughs> I was very happy to know that when I got there. Christianity spread, and until recently, virtually everyone up there was an Episcopalian. Today, the Episcopal Church of the Philippines spans all provinces within the Philippines, but its historic stronghold remains the mountain province. So it was up in the mountain province in the city of La Trinidad, which means the Trinity, which by the way, spoiler alert, that's next Sunday, outside of Baguio, that I walked into the church of the holy guardian angels. I'm gonna say that again, the church of the holy guardian angels. Have any of you ever heard of a church with a name like that? Probably not, but it exists in the Philippines. Uh, it was, I was there to meet the bishop-elect of the Diocese of North Central Philippines. He had been rector at Holy Guardian Angels Church for a few years. And I walked into the church, and there on the wall, facing the front door, behind and above the altar, I saw it. I saw it, and it was their biggest life. Imagine a tapestry that almost went floor to ceiling. And you could see in the tapestry these waves of, of green mountains and the terracing, the terracing that they would do to farm because they had lots of farming up there, but it was all on terrace, right? Rice, everything was grown up there. And then you could see the blue sky. And, and on this background was put a statue and it was Jesus. And it was Jesus with his right arm stretched high with his hand in the position to do blessing and his left hand turned open and down towards the mountain. There he was, Jesus dressed in a beautiful white robe, stretched out like this. And I was struck with this image. It wasn't that of a suffering Jesus on the cross, no, but of a Jesus whose work on this earth was completed for the moment. And who, as he blessed those he was leaving with his right hand, he invited them with his left hand to take up his work. And I thought, holy guacamole. So friends in Christ, this image, so visual, reminded me that the ascension did not end the ministry of Jesus, but started a new time, a time of Jesus' presence among us through the love, life, work, and witness of those who believe in him and carry on his work. 
powered by not only the blessing of Jesus, but especially by the gift of the Holy Spirit received on this Pentecost day, the Church of God in Christ was off and running, and boy did it. And this image on the wall behind the altar of the Church of the Holy Guardian Angels in La Trinidad was more than a visual reminder of this work. It was powerful. It was super powerful. But you know what? It reminded me that in 2008, the province of the Philippines, which had become an independent province from the Episcopal Church in 1990, so it was still a new, a new province, and it was still being aided by the Episcopal Church. In 2008, they started what they referred to as the 10% solution, to grow by number of members and pesos. Uh, so butts in the seats, pesos in the plate, 10% per year for 10 years, moving to sustainability, an issue they identified as a province. They wanted to get off the Episcopal, Episcopal dole. And I initially heard about this project in 2012 when I made my first trip to the Philippines. What I found out upon my return a few weeks ago is that a good number of churches became fully self-sustainable, and many more went from full dependence on their diocese or province for funding for mission and ministry to only being partially aided today. Their Pentecost flame was rekindled in, the, in this church, not unlike what happened with Bishop Brent as an initial missionary. But the kicker, the kicker for me was to hear how they did it. I was there to figure out how did you do this? How did you grow that way? It wasn't the diocese coming in to tell them what to do, no. It wasn't the province giving them support to do this work, no. It was truly a Pentecost time, a reflection of that image in the church of, of ooh, I got myself worked up, hold on. Okay, <laughs> I, got, I need a minute. I can, I can feel my heart, okay. Honey, I could feel my heart. I got worked up. Okay, well, I get worked up. Wouldn't you get worked up if you were there? Say yes. yes. Okay, all right. It was, it was a Pentecost time, a reflection of that image in the church of the holy guardian angels in La Trinidad. What it was was this. The larger self-sustaining congregations partnered with multiple smaller congregations, and trust me, there were, there were and are a good number of them clergy and laity working together to help their neighbors grow to the glory of God in Christ. They felt blessed by all the gifts God had given them, the big churches and the small churches, and they worked collaboratively to build up the body of Christ in their part of God's creation. And the true blessing of the project wasn't that it was a one-way street. The larger self-sustaining churches giving and the smaller churches receiving, no. It was a time of mutual learning, mutual growing, mutual creative energy, and I've got lots of examples of this mutual sharing, which I will gladly share with you, but not right now because we have a lot of confirmations to get through. So, right? Okay. So this to me is what Pentecost represents and kicks off for us. It was and is the carrying on of the work that was done while Jesus walked among us, that he put into overdrive at the time of Pentecost with the gift of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the birth of the church. So, you're going to say to yourself, Bishop Bruce, what does this have to do with us? Well, I'm going to tell you. It means we need to open our eyes and see that one of the challenges facing our American church is our lack of wanting to collaborate with the churches around us. While at times we may do a little bit, 
the thought of truly working together to shore each other up, support each other, and build up the church can be foreign to us in a culture where I did it myself and it's mine is the dominant way of thinking and working. We have to stop thinking that if we work with that church over there, they may steal my sheep and start understanding that the more we work together, the more those who do not yet know the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus will be attracted to our churches, all our churches. The extended hand of Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, calls us to find ways to continue his work in the world by sharing our resources, no matter how large or small, and to learn from one another, calling each other to do our best to the glory of God. And one of the churches in my mind that does this best in the Diocese of Los Angeles is right here in Huntington Beach. And it's because you've got some of the most wonderful, intelligent, kind, spirit-filled clergy I have ever met in my life. Could you do more? Sure. That's always the invitation to do more. You know, I'm grateful I had the opportunity to go back and see our brothers and sisters, visit their churches, hear their stories, and learn from them what working towards sustainability can do and to learn from their experiences. Ultimately, my prayer for this congregation is to continue to rekindle the flame a project that's already underway here. And my prayer for this deanery, our diocese, our Episcopal Church, is to be truly part of the post-Pentecost Jesus movement, to be the loving, liberating, and life-giving people of God in Jesus Christ that our presiding Bishop Michael Curry talks about, and that that extended hand on the statue in La Trinidad invites us to share in. And by the way, wasn't uh, presiding bishops, Cur presiding bishops Curry, presiding bishop Curry's—that's hard to say. Presiding bishop Curry's sermon at the wedding, fantastic! Wow. I thought, holy God, I've got to up my game preaching now. <laughs> so may we learn from our brothers and sisters in the province of the Philippines and grab onto that hand of Jesus and help others to do so as well, not only among our churches, but in our extended communities. And may we all, as Bishop Curry says, spread the love. Amen.